Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Gabe Parson and Michael Darnowski. Hi, welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. The big story this week are the uh, tragic events of Friday the 13th in Paris, where a series of coordinated attacks by the terrorist group ISIS left at latest count 129 killed and over 300 injured. Now, while this isn't strictly an American politics story, certainly it affects us in that uh, we're all, you know, thinking and concerned about Paris. And of course, we've been at least part of the fight against the Islamic State. So, Jay, what do you uh, think about this? Um, I, you know, in in the wake of something like this, there's there's really not much that guys like you or I can add to it. And, and that's, you know, it's sort of, mm-hmm. sort of troubling. I mean, it's, it's one of those things if you, to talk about it, uh, in some ways may, may diminish it, uh, a little, uh, to not talk about it, uh, sort of does, does the same thing. So, so this is tough. I mean, I, I, you know, again, what, what more, you know, can we say than it's, it's tragic, it's, it's horrible. Uh, it's, it's, it's it the, strikes us as just sort of the insanity of it. Yeah, um, th- that's the thing that frustrates me too. And while I, I think it's great that people show their support and you know their their prayers for Paris and all that sort of stuff. And I think that's you know that's good. Uh, the civilized world sort of coming together. And in the end, it just makes you feel kind of impotent because. It seems to me the only way we could do something that had more meaning and more teeth in a very real way would be to make the sort of military commitment that it's pretty clear we're not willing to make. Well, and I, you know, we can talk about that at some point, maybe another day, because because I, I'm not even sure that that does that change things. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we've you know after nine eleven. Uh, we made, you know, really one hell of a military commitment. We, we made did. two pretty big military commitments, um, and, and and we've we've killed a lot of people, and we've done a lot of drone strikes, and we've taken a lot of guys out, and and so forth. Um, but but the problem persists, and and something that struck me, I was thinking about this yesterday, is it's not. In some ways, this is this seems like a, a new problem. Um, in other ways, it's not. It's it's really pretty old. It's uh, uh, you know Munich in 1972. It's it's uh, uh, you know terrorist bombings throughout that time. It's the uh, uh, Libyan bombing of the airliner. It's uh, uh, you know Klinghoffer and the Achille Laurel. Uh, it's I mean this isn't it, the the it's it's Mumbai of of uh, what, ten years ago. Um, so in, in some ways it's shocking and it's it's new, but in the same way, no, this is something that's gone been going on perennially for for generations. Yeah, that, um, you're right, absolutely, and uh, that, unfortunately there aren't any good solutions, and I think that's abundantly clear. And the people who suggest that, well, there is a simple way to, to bomb them out or kill them all or something like that, that's I think. And, that, and that's not to say, and that's not to say, I, I don't want anyone to get the idea that I, I don't think military action ought to or needs to be part of that solution uh i'm just saying that yeah even that it's it's difficult because it's a different kind of enemy it's a different kind of war 
Um, absolutely, absolutely. But I, you know, I, I did want to say one thing that that I was thinking about this, and this might be controversial, and, and maybe it maybe it won't be. I don't know. Um, you know, in the the very limited, what what can we do? Uh, and again, as as you and you and I, two guys sitting here in Ohio, uh, there's there's not much, but. I think something that that we can do as Americans, as Westerners, as as you know, citizens of the West, I guess is the best way to put it up for it, is is stand up for Western civilization. Um, and I think that's something that you know, look, you can change your your Facebook profile and so forth, but uh, you know, make it make it just a. a identify yourself as listen we're the this the culture the society that believes in uh first of all tolerance of other religions uh other other faiths but also there there's sort of a flip side of that we also believe in engagement and civic engagement and having arguments and saying things that ruffle feathers sometimes sure and and i think that's something that you know we need to realize is special uh, about uh, about where we live, about uh, about what we've come to define as again the, the civilized world. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and so often, I, I think we we shy away from those values, and we we're sort, we sort of apologize for them. Uh, uh, and and I don't think we we can do that anymore. Yeah. I think you know Ch- Churchill back in in the '30s, you know, characterized, and this was sort of an interwestern uh, fight then, but. You know, look. This is this is what what we're fighting for, um, and and it is a matter of um, uh, saying things that are going to make others uncomfortable. Uh, it's it's things that will be in some cases politically incorrect, uh, but it's also uh, accompanied by tolerance uh, for those who are who are different. And I, I think that's you know I, that that's a huge message. And I, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm incapable of really expressing it as well as I'd like to. Um, but I think you get where I'm going there. Absolutely. In fact, that's something that we're going to be talking about, I'm sure, uh, in, a, in a few minutes here in one of our other top stories of this week. Uh, so, so yeah, um, moving on from that horrible tragedy onto a domestic story. Earlier this week, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that President Obama couldn't go forward with his pretty significant plan to overhaul immigration rules by giving up the 5 million illegal immigrants' work permits and protection from deportation. Now, the court didn't rule on the merits of the case. It actually upheld... What's that? Deportation. Deportation? Yes, thank you. Deportation. Deportation. I don't know if deportation's a word. (laughs) Okay. um, Anyway, the court didn't rule on the merits of the case. Uh, What it did was it upheld an injunction that was issued by a federal district court judge in February. And so, Jay, you're the one with the legal background. Can you kind of explain what an injunction is and what it means that the court would uphold this injunction? Well, an injunction is a preliminary remedy. It means, hey, you can't do this, what you're, what you're about to do, or you have to stop doing what you're, you're planning on doing. In this case, it's, it's you can't issue these work permits. Uh, and the, the test, it's, it's sort of a four-part test, but the biggest part of it is if you go forward with this, there's going to be some sort of irreparable harm that can't be fixed later. It can't be fixed with... You know, we'll pay you money damages down the road. Uh, the genie will be out of the bottle if you move forward with this. So uh, courts then, what will they'll do is they'll put the injunction in place, and then the rest of the case proceeds. And uh, you know, at the end of the the end of the trial, there's more evidence and there's more motions, and there there may actually be a a 
trial by a jury, although in this case, my, my sense is it would all be determined on, uh, you know, likely by, by motion. But uh, it, so it, it's, it's basically a standstill where you are, preserve the status quo. Uh, yeah, it, Texas it, District Court said yes. Uh, Texas uh, uh, Appeal Court uh, agreed. Uh, it's it's sort of unremarkable that you know for an appeal court appeals court to preserve an injunction, that's that's you know. Now again, doesn't it does it mean that there's uh, some sort of a likelihood that uh, that one side or another has a stronger case or will prevail is likely. Well, prevail, there is or? yes. I mean, there is there is a factor that one of the things you you need to show when you're applying for the injunction is that there is a likelihood of success on the merits. Right. So that's factored in, along with the the irreparable harm, uh, the public interest is is another factor, uh, and and how it will affect uh, parties other than than those directly involved. Um, so yeah, I mean you can say that there's a little bit of a, a, a clue there that uh, district court isn't buying it, and you could pick that up pretty much from the and in this case is mostly about injunctive relief. Uh, so yes, it, it is a it is a big deal. Um, and but all, again, for the the court of appeals to approve it, uh, that's I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's overly surprising, right? And this, of again, course, will be appealed to the Supreme Court. District. Yeah. yeah, so Fifth Circuit. I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, all of this stems from President Obama's inability to get any uh, get any uh, immigration reform passed, you know, through Congress, of course, and so he essentially took matters into his own hands and said. Uh, Essentially, that well, he is going to give people in INS uh, or greater discretion to make a lot of these decisions, and his argument is that well, uh, that's certainly well within my scope of powers as uh, commander in chief, administrative discretion, and that's where right. the the now that again this was wasn't ruled on on the merits, and it seems like that uh, the the well what the district court judge said essentially is well you didn't follow the proper procedures in issuing this these new regulations there needs to be right. a public the, comment period the yeah through the uh, administrative procedures right. act that requires certain yeah. things that you have to do before an agency can engage in, in rulemaking right yeah. now what the interestingly at least from my perspective what the circuit court said was not only that but we we think that actually the president probably exceeded his authority or there's a good a good argument that he exceeded his authority in doing this in the first place, which is a yeah. much more serious, uh, a much more serious claim. So this is a big deal, obviously, because it affects a millions of, of immigrants, of illegal immigrants, certainly. And this breaks down pretty clearly in ideal, ideological lines. As we've talked about before, Republicans tend to be a lot uh, less favorable of uh, open immigration and or a path to citizenship, uh, what they'll call amnesty, in part because of, I think, very understandable political reasons is that uh, those aren't people, for the most part, uh, immigrants who mostly are coming from uh, Central America, aren't people who are going to be voting for them. So you don't want oh, more of your voters in the country. But, but, but their children may be leading contenders for the nomination in the next generation. Ab ab um, okay, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But, but uh, no, I, I would say also, I mean, uh, ideologically, and this is sometimes maybe it, there's the caricature of, well, it's against uh, Republicans against this or conservatives against this because they're against immigrants. Uh, the, the other idea is conservatives tend to be against uh, empowering um, uh, agency, you know, rulemaking. 
Okay, I, was gonna, I thought you were going to say empowering the poor and dispossessed because I was going to be <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what they're against. Oh, but <laughs> to my point, no, the but the idea that uh, government by an administrative state, uh, sure. uh, you know, government located in the bureaucracy uh, rather than yeah. the legislature. And this uh, is so actually I think there's, there's more there's more structural difference also that a structural argument that can be made. Yeah, this is actually one of these instances where I'm absolutely in favor of what a pres- what President Obama is trying to do, but I unfortunately I think I agree that he's exceeding his authority in trying to do it. Just because Congress won't do what you want doesn't mean that you can expand your executive powers beyond their reasonable scope. So even well, if that's very reasonable of you, I I am a very reasonable guy. Well. But basically because I'm concerned that, you know, someone who shares my policy preferences won't always be president. And therefore, you know, if there's a Ted Cruz, God forbid, who becomes president and wants to do all kinds of wacky stuff, then, you know, it's going to be hard for me to argue that he can't do it. But President Obama could simply because I like President Obama's ideas better than Ted Cruz's ideas, which is the whole point about making sure that we don't give too much discretion to any one branch. The whole and this is this is I mean, this is going to be sort of the theme for our show. Uh, Again, this is one of these hallmarks of of Western civilization. It's government of laws, not a government of men. Absolutely. Or Uh, and and I think that's yeah, that that carries over in in so many things. So, you know, Kind of on the subject of immigration, I want to move on just a little bit. And of course, there was another Republican debate on Tuesday, and I think most folks felt that it was really the most substantive debate so far. And immigration was the main, uh, the main topic, the main issue of contention. Uh, it seems to me that basically we have two fundamental camps here in the in the primaries. As you have uh, the Bush Kasich camp who basically I think uh, Kasich put it very well when he said, you know, we can't pick them up and ship them across the border. It's a silly argument. It's not an adult argument. Uh, And then there's the Trump Cruz people who say, you know, build a wall, build it high, send them all back and that sort of thing. Uh, Yeah. And and for people who listen to the show, I mean, you you probably know where where I stand. And I think this is really where, where a lot of mainstream conservatism stands is, is uh, listen. We need a new immigration policy. Uh, we need to do something. But the a, the Trump uh, mass deportation is simply uh, impossible. Right. Uh, both from a, a financial standpoint, from a political standpoint, from a logistical standpoint. Um, uh, ought we to have uh, stronger border controls? Uh, absolutely. Should we have a better system of getting people deported uh, who need to be deported? Absolutely. Uh, but the situation is we have to play the ball where where it lies and a, a mass deportation just isn't in the cards. And the problem, um, I think, is that that argument is much more nuanced and harder to make, whereas a Donald Trump who can just say, we are a nation of laws and we are against amnesty, and if you're here illegally, we're going to send you back, and we're going to build a wall, and damn it, Mexico's going to pay for it. I mean, yeah. that's that you know that fires up the base in, in a way that's saying, well, it's just not really possible, and think of the families and other things like that. That That isn't really as exciting of an argument. It just happens to be the the sane and adult argument. And I think what we're seeing in the Republican uh, nomination fight is that sane adult arguments are not working. And, you know, that to me is a, a big frustration is you get someone like a John Kasich who essentially now has to resort to 
the you know the tactic of interrupting every couple of minutes to try to make his point and to try to get some momentum and he's clearly not i mean it's only a matter of time before he's out of the race and and you're left with uh, a lot of wing nuts uh, and, and someone who I think is a little more moderate, like uh, Arubia, who I think is kind of in an in-between position. He's not as radical on the anti-immigration thing as a Trump or a Cruz, but he's not quite as pro-immigration, I don't think, as uh, Bush or Kasich, maybe. And I think he's yeah, going to be the nominee um, anyway. So, Well, I, I think uh, the idea that the, the wing nuts, I mean, once people actually start voting, I think you're going to see a change. And, and I've I've said this for a while. Um, to some extent, as as you brought up, this is the first real sort of substantive debate, uh, and a lot of people said this was Trump's worst debate uh, <laughs> because he doesn't of that. do he doesn't do well on substance, yeah, and, and yeah, and as as uh, things continue and as the the field of the non-Trump candidates uh, sort of begins to narrow, I think you're going to see a, a solidification of uh, support behind somebody. Um, again, my preference would be Rubio. Uh, Cruz, uh, again, may engage in some of the rhetoric of Trump, but Cruz is also smart enough to know what, what can work and what can't work. Uh, and just, just to, I've said this before, but to, to point out uh, the folly of the, the Trump send them all back uh, proposal, George Will, uh, who, again, is, is no squishy, at least didn't used to be right. considered that, um, you know, pointed out that the massive immigration problem that, that Europe has experienced in the last couple months, uh, that, that big migration is one-twentieth of what Trump would be talking about wow. of uh, deportating yeah. people. Out, or, uh, see, there I did it, uh, deportating. Deporting. <laughs> deporting people. a ring to it, I guess, yeah. I yeah. Um, and, and again, just, just the idea that uh, to, to do that would – you would necessarily have to create a a, a super police state. Uh, that doesn't that sound like a good idea. No. You would be super unable to state. do, yeah. uh, again, just, you know, financially, logistically, and, and certainly politically. Yeah, absolutely. So, All right, then. Um, let's move on to talk about uh, another big issue this week, certainly college protests, which were all over the news, particularly at the University of Missouri, where students were protesting the administration's lack of attention to racism on campus. And it ended up resulting in the resignation of the University of Missouri's uh, system president and their chancellor. So this is a a pretty big deal, certainly, and uh, kind of, like you said, ties into this idea of protests and uh, uh, what what protesters are looking for and how seriously we should take protests and what's an appropriate reaction to this sort of thing. So uh, what do you think about all this, Jay? Well, to me, this is, you know, you and I, we were we were once comrades in the war against political correctness. Back in the 90s, uh, yep. Back absolutely. in the day. Uh, and, and we fought the good fight. And uh, the difficulty is we were in college for four years and, and the administrators and the folks who uh, are, are doing this are, are, are there for life and they're paid to do with what, what they do. Um, our anti-political correctness war was sort of a sideline, um, right. you know, sort of uh, other college stuff. But I, I think political correctness on in college campuses is, is – we ought to do just to show just on this uh, – has grown – you know, it's, it's beyond the ridiculous. Uh, at Yale, these uh, 
big protest over Halloween, Halloween costumes right. and what administrators said people should be able to wear or not be able to wear. And it was sort of a tweet of something said, well, people should be able to wear whatever Halloween costume they want. And uh, against the, the, the poor oppressed of, of Yale University uh, started crying about the lack of a safe space and and so forth uh, for fear they may be offended by someone's uh, Halloween costume. Um, Missouri, again, that's... I think uh, I think the Missouri thing's a, a slightly different, not just slightly different. I would say it's qualitatively different. And we're talking about uh, uh, swastikas, where in feces, we're talking about racial slurs. Uh, that that to me is a little different than you know, be sensitive in your Halloween costume. And and so I think uh, I think an administration, uh, a college administration at a public, well, at any university, but certainly at a public university, has an obligation to t- take student concerns about this sort of thing seriously not only that but to uh, make sure that they have uh, they have programming in place that they have resources in place to educate the community on these issues I think that that's crucially important and I think it, it seems to me that the university administration wasn't listening as closely as they should have and I think they they paid the price thankfully oh I, I I've got to go on the other other side of you on this one and that's uh, has, I mean, the the idea that a, a university is somehow being insensitive to these types of of uh, of, of claims that's that's what universities have, have lived for for the last twenty thirty years. Uh, I I don't know the specifics of the the claims that you said about you know swastikas and so forth, um, but I, I I'd point out that you know has anyone been arrested or or uh, do we know who did it? Um, there was, of course, the case in Oberlin a couple of years ago where we had, you know, who I've liked to call the, the Phantom Klansman, uh, where someone reported to see someone dressed in a, a Klan outfit. There were swastikas uh, uh, painted, which it turned out to be was was all sort of an essentially inside job. Uh, someone who did it just for the very purpose of uh, uh, riling up uh, student protest. Um and, and the administration knew this, and they played it up, and, and uh, they had a, they took off school, and they sang Kumbaya, and all these things, and and it was it was all very very phony, uh, and it never really happened. So, uh, Missouri, I think, sure, any kind of uh, claim like that deserves investigation. Uh, but what's troubling to me is that the administration simply backs down and walks away. Um, but, but from they demands didn't. that are some that are in some cases sort of sort of crazy. I mean, in the one case, it was the the student, the graduate student who was going on a hunger strike uh, because his benefits had been reduced. Well, yeah, um, I mean, there, been, there are certain, which, were, which were by law reduced because of Obamacare. Um, there are certainly things that I think you're right are are ridiculous. Was, was because the football team said we're not going to play uh, until you address racism. Now, again, and, to, well, to me, that the idea that a college uh, is not doing enough to ad- address uh, racial issues. My God, I mean, does does Missouri have uh, a, a Black Studies, African American Studies department? I'm sure See, they do. I, I, I don't think I don't think that. that's the point. I think, and this is you know, as someone who's been in, intimately involved in in college for I'm going into my I guess third decade now on that, and and it seems to me that a lot of what colleges do is just window dressing uh there may be black studies departments there may be uh various you know certain types of programming but that doesn't really get in many cases to the heart of the problem to what i see on a lot of 
campuses is uh, the uh, pervasive racism on many campuses. And I think a big part of the problem, a big reason of that is that campuses often are so very segregated. And I think there's plenty of research that suggests that the way you break some of that down is to get people of different races to to mix, to to get to you know, have people see the other race as, as human beings that you interact with. And I know for me personally, that had a huge effect going into the Marine Corps from an all-white background where all of a sudden I'm thrown in with people of you know, different colors, and, and that totally changed my world. And I don't think universities do nearly enough of that. I think they do things to try to put a Band-Aid on it, but I think they could, and they, I think they have an obligation uh, to the public to provide more forums where races can can mix in a meaningful way and there can be more understanding i don't think nearly enough of that's happening wow that's 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 a surprisingly sensible uh, position that's not where i thought you were going with surprisingly that. sensible thank you jay uh no i i have to say i agree with you 100 percent. and and that really to me uh in a lot of cases it's the uh racial balkanization uh that you see on college campuses and not just racial it's gender-based and it's uh uh or sexual orientation based and so forth that uh, that that's fed by this political correctness that it's it's you against uh, somebody else um, that 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 feeds the problem rather than makes it better. So I think when you say window dressing and band aids, I I'd agree. I'd go a step farther to say that the steps that most modern universities have taken have been in many cases counterproductive. But uh, if if the uh, the president of, of Missouri had proposed the type of thing that, that you're proposing, I don't think that would have helped. I think that would have been driven uh, uh, with more protests. Uh, so to me, this, this comes back and to tie into a, you know, let's, let's stand up for Western civilization, uh, especially on college uh, campuses. And, and a big part of that is addressing one another. Uh, it's it's the the two sides of that coin of tolerance on the one hand that look I'm I'm going to put up with some crazy stuff that I might not agree with I might not think is right uh, but I'm not going to beat you up over it uh, but also engagement yeah uh, and, and I'm, not, I'm going and to say, listen I I think you're wrong on this let's talk yeah. about it I'm going to engage you instead of uh, you know plastering a swastika and feces on some wall somewhere. Which well, is, again, is certainly let's, 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 illiberal let's kind of thing. We'll, we'll find out who, who, who did that. But. but I'm saying that's not that's not the sort of thing I that know. Western civilization stands for is is, is those exactly. kind of slurs and so forth. So you know. exactly. And for uh, me, one uh, other one other point I wanted to make on this is I think this is really uh, uh, illustrates the corporatization of the university that we've seen, uh, especially in recent years, the Tim Wolf, the guy who was the chancellor, the chancellor of the system, the president of the system, sorry, uh, took the job in 2012 and he came from the corporate world, had no previous academic administration background. And this is really, I think, a big trend that we've seen in a lot of colleges where because of budget cuts, uh, academic uh, higher education is a huge part of most states' budgets. And so they've cut back on that enormously, and they've more and more tried to treat uh, academia as some sort of a business with students as customers and, and trying to churn out, oh, welders instead of philosophers or something like that. And, and I think that's just been tragic 
for the state of liberal arts education. And that's the sort of thing that liberal arts education, that's the sort of thing where people are taught to appreciate and promote Western values that we've been talking about. And that's going away because of what I think are penny wise and pound foolish decisions by state legislatures across the country. That's that's a that's a good point. You you would be more more qualified to speak to that than I would. I mean, you're sort of in the trenches on this. Um, uh, I, I I don't I haven't seen that to be the, the case in Ohio, um, but I think there is there is the trend. And and you mentioned this is the, the Rubio comment about uh, welders versus philosophers, which which we'll talk about in just a second. But. Um, the uh, the idea that uh, college ought to be more vocational, uh, hey, sort of like trade school, you go there, learn a trade, get a job, uh, as opposed to the old-fashioned liberal arts model. And you and I both were liberal arts college graduates, um, where it is more about uh, learning how to think, learning how to appreciate uh, what it is that 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 makes us uh, special here in Western civilization. And <clears throat> then there's sort of the idea that after you're done with that, you, you figure out some actually some way to pay the bills. Um, but, sure. Well, yeah, let, uh, let, actually, let's talk about that now. So at the Republican debate, Rubio made that comment that we need, how did he say we need? Uh, he, he said maybe, I, I think that uh, uh, we, we would need, uh, maybe we better served with, more welders, and he said less philosophers, right. uh, but fewer philosophers would be the grammatically better. More grammarians but, and fewer. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah. so, so, um, what do you what did you think he meant by that then? Well, you know, some some conservatives even took him to task as saying, "Look, is is this you know sort of anti intellectual uh, uh, sort of bend of the GOP and uh, sort of supporting that just that, that the role of higher education is is purely vocational um, and." What I what I read into it is, uh, you know, look, uh, we need to educate people so that they can get jobs, and we shouldn't uh, demean, um, uh, you know, what is jobs that are, are non college jobs. Certainly, because because college is not for everyone, and I think that's something that that we should we should face. And not everyone is for college. I mean, I, I know there are plenty of people who didn't want to go to college, but, but went because, well, they thought they ought to, or somebody said they should. And, um, There's you know, a... they, they could have, they could have made a, a great, a great living. Uh, and maybe eventually some of them went and did as a welder or a plumber, uh, or a carpenter or some other, you know, skilled tradesperson or a machinist. Uh, and that's fine. Uh, there was a, a few years ago, there was a great book on this topic by a guy named Matthew Crawford, who actually got a doctorate in philosophy, uh, couldn't get a job right off, not surprisingly, I guess some would say, and uh, opened a motorcycle repair shop. And uh, now he, he now he works as a philosopher who has a motorcycle repair shop. But uh, the book's called Shop Shop class as soul craft, and it looks into this whole idea of you know the vocations as being undervalued in society and being important and not being less than. And I think that's you know that's a very important point. But I think also you know the point is that maybe you can be a philosopher and work on motorcycles or be a welder, and it isn't necessarily an either or thing. And I think that's what a lot of folks miss out. They say, well, college should be vocational. Well, okay. There certainly needs to be a focus on preparing people for the job market, but if that's all we're about is getting people good jobs, then I think we have we have we are doing students a disservice. We're doing Western civilization a disservice. Right. I think I think there ought to be 
uh, part of that the component is is that uh, it ought to prepare you to be a a good citizen. Absolutely. Uh, and we do too. And I know that, that. Sounds, that sounds a little silly. Uh, I don't think so. Maybe a little, maybe a little naive, but uh, no, that's that's something too. That whatever your job is, that uh, you're able to to discuss and engage and and. Uh, um, uh, you know, again, this—it's weird that all this—you know—we're kind of tying all this stuff together, um, but but these are the issues that that you know happen to come up this week. Absolutely. Uh, the, you know, the other the other thing I would say in, in uh, on the Rubio comment is, I think some of what he he meant was also uh, uh, aimed not at necessarily philosophers, but maybe the quality philosophers that we're turning out of of today's uh, uh college campuses like the the Ms. the Mizu stuff and i you know something i didn't mention a second ago was you also had the situation of the the journalism professor who was calling for some additional muscle uh, <laughs> in, in her very words right uh to get rid of student reporters right um uh, again that's that's where i'm coming down is is if this is the journalism professor if this is the people who are teaching what we want Western civilization to be about, uh, then we've got a we've got an institutional problem there. Uh, but, but I, I, I don't also, I don't know that the corporate bringing in the corporate business guys is 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 what solves it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think also I think that's that's something Rubio was was speaking to. Yeah, I think we can we can certainly at least agree partially on that. Well, we definitely we're both big fans of Western civilization, so that's that's we awesome. are. And, yeah. and no, and I, I think this is uh, look, listeners out there. Um, uh, that's that's to me. I mean, that's one of the reasons we we do this show. Uh, it's one of the reasons we can do this show, right? Uh, and I think it's you know you won't you won't find this podcast in in uh, in, Tehran. in Turkey probably. Yeah, I mean, yeah I'm really sure you won't find it in Tehran. No, yeah. Uh, and and that's yeah. That, so. No, yeah, absolutely. And I think while we disagree on a lot of specific uh, policy issues and that overarching thing uh, about the, you know, the, the value of Western civilization, about the value of uh, what we might call enlightenment values and free and open inquiry and, and honest debate, we're, we're absolutely we're, in well, agreement. Yeah, know? all those things. Absolutely. Yeah, we're good people. And I think and maybe this this is, you know, after Paris, um, I, I, you know, maybe Again, and, and this is weird because I'm a little emotional. I'm usually not, uh, but to, to to say, hey, let's let's get together and focus on the the shared values we do have um, in addressing the these issues. Absolutely, so. absolutely. So, I, also the uh, moving from the Republicans, we've been talking about a lot to the Democrats. The Democrats actually debated on Saturday night. Uh, Hillary Clinton and two guys with essentially no shot at the Democratic nomination debated in Des Moines, Iowa. Saturday night when every, when everybody's tuned Yeah, in. what a great time. <laughs> Said not that it matters because essentially unless I think the only way debate Democratic debate matters at this point is if Hillary Clinton comes down with Tourette syndrome or something like that. But it's she's a lock, I think. Although it, it, the debate did have its interesting moments. There was you know Bernie Sanders, I wouldn't exactly say took the gloves off. But he did point out that Hillary Clinton has gotten millions of dollars in financial support from Wall Street. And he said, you know, let's not be naive about it. Uh, why have they been giving her all this money? Are they dumb and don't know what they're going to get? He said, well, you know, I don't think so. And Bernie Sanders has a point. Of millions of dollars probably too, but yeah. You know, I think that – but I think that's a really good point. And, and Clinton at first expressed what I, I'm sure is mock outrage 
that anyone yes. would impugn her integrity. She should be used to her integrity being impugned by now, one would think. Uh, but uh, the idea that she suggested that it had something to do with 9-11 is just right. just you know ridiculous, essentially. I mean, she was a senator from New York. And she so, was the she had been the junior senator for about nine months when nine eleven happened, and yes, she was she was there for Wall Street. Uh, that's uh, important. When it They're the ones who really needed, yeah, the the help um, in that. But I mean, you know, Hillary Clinton is a pretty mainstream centrist Democrat, just like her husband, uh, just like really in a lot of ways when it comes to the financial sector, uh, Barack Obama is, President Obama is, and that they're not going to do anything to really upset the apple cart in any significant way. There are people who are comfortable with the Goldman Sachs of the world, and uh, Bernie Sanders, understandably, isn't comfortable with that and he would change things radically. And so if you're, if you're really concerned, if you really feel like there needs to be a significant shakeup in the financial system, you're not going to get that from Hillary Clinton for better or worse. And yeah. Bernie Sanders and there's, is there's, right there's, a little, there's a little bit of the, uh, uh, I saw, I don't remember where I saw it cause I hate to say stuff without attribution, but, but, um, the, the Willie Sutton, uh, the famous bank robber, um, uh, Right. Uh, when asked why he robbed banks, uh, famously replied, "Well, because that's where the money is." Absolutely. Um, and that's sort of, sort of, you can <laughs> discuss the Democratic love and the Republican love. Although it's, it's a little more honest, I guess. Uh, the Republicans will say, "Yes, we love Wall Street because that's where the money is." Uh, but uh, listen, Wall Street—you can like it or not. Uh, there are there excesses, absolutely, but. This is this is a system that we have that that drives our economy that uh, enables funding for a lot of different ventures. Uh, are some people made obscenely wealthy by it? Yes. Are some of them horrible people? Absolutely. Um, uh, but uh, uh, this is this is a system that that has brought us, uh, you know, as a nation, uh, tremendous wealth. And again, you can go back and say, well, has it been evenly spread? Or should some people, uh, have, you know, are the rich getting richer and so forth? Those are different arguments yeah. uh, to have, but I think Hillary Clinton could have made just a wonderful statement about, well, of course I value Wall Street because they're a driver of our economy. It's what uh, funds the startups. It's the venture capitalists who who risk their own money on on dreams and so forth. Um, no, 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 Jay. Would, that would be but, that would be a wonderful argument in the Republican primary, not in the Democratic that's, primary. That's, you know, maybe that's what I wanted to see her say. But regardless, sure. she went into this goofy sort of because nine eleven argument. Which yeah, is, absolutely. But uh, like I said, I think it's all pretty much academic because uh, Hillary Clinton will be the nominee, and uh, that's you know agreed. the debates are basically a, a sideshow, particularly the Democratic debates, and which I don't think that many people are are necessarily watching because I think they understand that Hillary Clinton, for better or worse, is going to be the nominee. Anyway, uh, you know uh, we are running a little long, but we can't end the show without talking about what may be the issue of I don't know maybe the entire campaign, and that is of course baby Hitler. Right, and this is again talking about your big philosophical issues. Oh my gosh, this is, yeah. uh, um, and you can take the lead here. Maybe, maybe I should. Uh, someone, it was an uh, online question that was asked, I guess, to, to Jeb Bush, and then repeated: of uh, Would he go back in time and kill baby Hitler? He said, um, "Hell yeah!" Was what he said. And yeah. Bush said, "Hell yeah." <laughs> um, uh, and then, of course, came in for criticism for for. For that sort of, I guess, cavalier response, 
Uh, and then Ben Carson answered the, the same question uh, several days later, uh, saying, no, he wouldn't. Except or he wouldn't abort, he wouldn't abort baby Hitler. So we don't actually know if he'd kill baby Hitler. He, we just right. know that he wouldn't abort fetus, unborn baby Hitler, right. whatever you want to call it. So. Uh, and I, I, in that case, I, I, you know, it's sort of like I could give a little bit of credit to Ben Carson uh, for consistency. Um, but also it does. It's a big philosophical, big uh, um, scientific uh, time travel question. There's, it's sort of, you know, the scientists call it the grandfather paradox. Yeah. Uh, can you go back in time and kill your grandfather and you still exist? Um, could and, I go back in time and kill the reporter who asked that question? Is I mean, to me, this sort of question says I don't respect any of those answers. The only answer to that question I would respect is that's a ridiculous question. I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. Uh, and, and, you know, to me, that question says a lot more about the media that's asking it than it does about the candidate, certainly. And I think it's just that ridiculous trivia, trivialization, uh, it, it you know, baby Hitler, time travel, when we have, you know, far more important issues. And the fact, I think it was, the, was it the Huffington Post, I think, that asked that question? It was Vox, I think. Vox, okay. Big, well, well, one of them, whoever it was, I think it was a ridiculous question. The kids at Vox realize we don't actually have a time machine. I mean, right? I mean, that's sort of like... Yeah, so I, I don't understand even the point. I mean, it's it's right up there with boxers or briefs, that sort of question famously asked to Bill Clinton and, you know, when he yep. was running for president. So that sort of thing. And, you know, actually, I would I would say that the boxers or briefs question is, is a more legitimate question because it actually has something to do with reality. And it's always yeah. nice when your questions have something to do with the real world that we live in. Yes. You know, so anyway, yeah. um, so Jay, just because what the hell, so baby Hitler, what are your, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, I would say I would, I would, again, and this goes back more to even to the sort of like scientific sort of things. And I guess the question is, uh, if I went back and killed baby Hitler, I don't think that, would that present prevent the Holocaust in this universe, or would it be a different universe that kind of sprung off from that? That's one, you know, theory. And this is like legit science people talk about this. Or then the other the other theory is that we're stuck in this one uh, timeline, and and I couldn't kill baby Hitler. Uh, that if I went back and tried, my all my attempts would necessarily fail. Right. Um, uh, kind of like the, the grandfather paradox, uh, because otherwise you couldn't have gone to the back in the first place. Um, I, I would actually, I would say, no, I wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Um, okay. And, I, and I'm basing that, and I'm basing that on maybe things like uh, the the movie The Dead Zone, and uh, the book uh, and movie Boys from Brazil, uh, both of which I, I heartily recommend to our, our listeners as just a lot of fun stuff. So. Okay. Well, I'm glad. So I, Glad we have you not, on. I would not kill baby. I'm glad. We I, I might kill like a, I might kill like an adolescent Hitler or sort of a young adult Hitler. That, but teenage Hitler would probably be kind of an annoying guy. You would think. Yeah. Anyway. Teenage, so. and, and also, teenage Hitler would be a fantastic name for a band. That would be an interesting name for a band. Okay. Um. Anyway. Um. From the ridiculous to I don't know something that to me at least is fairly uplifting and something I don't think we hear uh, enough about. But some some good news I want to end on and on. Thursday, President Obama awarded the Medal of Honor to a soldier, uh, Captain Florent Groberg, who uh, rushed a suicide bomber in Afghanistan in 2012 and saved maybe dozens of American and Afghan lives at, at 
you know, considerable cost to his to himself. He in the last three years he's undergone thirty three operations to try to recover from his injuries, and it's uh, it's always nice to see a story like that. And to me, it's a reminder that you know it, this happened in twenty twelve, and you know we tend to forget about the fact that there this stuff's going on, and there are Americans in harm's way that are doing courageous and heroic things all the time, many of them not ever recognized for. And I guess this week, this week, of course, saw the Marine Corps birthday, 240 years. That was on uh, November 10th and then the 11th Veterans Day. And so I guess as a sort of a salute to all of those who served and have done courageous and heroic things, I just wanted to mention that story. It's a, uh, a very, you know, a very satisfying thing for me to see at least. And I, I, yeah, all I can say really is, is amen. And, and, uh, that in, in the light of the, the horrific things that we've, we've seen these past couple of days, it is, it is fitting and proper, uh, to, to take a look at the, the folks who have done the heroic things, uh, to, to stand up for, uh, our values and for Western civilization and, and for the, the civilized world. And, uh, uh, we all owe them a debt that uh, really can't even be repaid just just by medals, but but that's what we got. So, uh, um, yeah, amen. amen. Okay, well, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we'd really appreciate it if you could just take a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.